You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. get like an entrance like I do here at church is so great you guys make me feel so loved and so welcome so thank you so much um did you guys have a great Thanksgiving yes Thanksgiving is great I feel like I wait all year for this time of year and uh, Thanksgiving is really the official kickoff it's like Thanksgiving happens we put a period on that day and now it's Christmas time it's really funny I keep trying to explain to Henry that it's Christmas time. It's not Christmas. Every day it's like, it's Christmas time. He's like, Christmas is here? I'm like, no, it's just, we, we do the whole month. The whole month is Christmas. Um, I love it. I love celebrating Christmas. I love all the fun uh, decorations. I love all the fun stuff that we get to do. I decided to put on sequins today because I'm like, I'm kicking off our Advent series. So we're, we're starting to talk about Christmas. Uh, I don't know about in your house, but we have two little kids, and Lucy is an incredibly festive person. She's in second grade, and she is ostentatious, and she loves to go all out. And basically, as soon as Halloween has come, she thinks it's now time to start celebrating Christmas. She's like, can we listen to Christmas music? And I got to admit, even this year, I did give in a little bit because I was just so tired of listening to Frozen day in and day out. I was like, yes, we'll do something different. We'll listen to a little bit of Christmas music. But we rationed it this year because last year, uh, COVID was just so crazy and there was so much going on. And I was like, I just want to feel all the feelings of Christmas. And so as soon as Halloween was over, we were bumping Mariah Carey and Jingle Bells and every version of every Christmas song in our car everywhere we went. And it was great. Um, but at the end of the year, I got my, like, your most listened to songs of 2020. And then, like, the top 10 is Mariah Carey. That's <laughs> all I want for Christmas is you. And I just felt like this is probably a sign. Like, the whole year, that song is in my top 10. Uh, if you were here with us in April uh, during uh, Easter, we did our Undefeated Love series, and we were talking through the, so the book, The Song of Solomon, and it talks about not awakening passion before it's time. And uh, just another word of advice, don't awake the Christmas spirit before it's time, <laughs> because then you have to listen to Christmas music for two months nonstop, and like my kids have zero chill. It's like every time we get in the car, can we listen to Christmas music? And Lucy has one song that is her favorite, and it's not even a traditional Christmas song. It's Kelly Clarkson's Underneath a Tree. And so <laughs> I have listened to that song so many times already. Um, but I kicked off on Friday morning. I did an indoor cycling ride, and I christened the whole season by doing Mariah Carey. So it was great. I was like, you know what? Thanksgiving is over. It is officially Christmas time. Christmas time has come. We can sing the songs and do the fun things. And uh, that is the great thing and also the crazy thing about Christmas time is that it's meant to be this, like, season of peace and comfort, and yet we fill it with literally every activity known to man. It's like this weekend is a party, and then the next weekend is another Christmas party that you didn't know that you were going to have with your co-workers. So it's like you got your family Christmas party, your friend Christmas party, your co-worker Christmas party, and it's just there's constantly 
stuff nonstop. And so we can get a little bit distracted. Maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but I get a little bit distracted during this time of the year from what Christmas is really about. And it's like, how many kids' Christmas movies do we have to watch about what the true meaning of Christmas is before it really sinks into us? It's like, I'm just putting it on to distract them. Maybe it should really be speaking to my heart. Um, but when I was a kid, uh, my parents are a little more chill than I am. And so we didn't have a, a huge amount of Christmas things that we did together. But something I distinctly remember every single year is after Thanksgiving, we get our Christmas tree. And then we would take the bajillion boxes out of the attic or out of the basement that had all of our Christmas decor in it. My sisters and I would fight over which ornaments we got to put up this year. And my sister Rachel would have like a tally list of like, well, you put it up last year. So this year is my year. <laughs> if you know my sister, you know that is 100% accurate. Um, but then at the bottom of the box was the advent wreath. And this was something that even as a kid, you know, I didn't fully understand the depth of what the Advent wreath was. But as an adult, I have grown to really appreciate it. And it really anchored my Christmas, even as a child. We take the Advent wreath out, and we had our four candles in it. And this center candle is the Jesus candle. And every Sunday throughout Advent, we would light one of the candles, and we would read scripture, and we would pray and worship together. And it was a really amazing time just to center our hearts back on the reason for Christmas in the first place. And so as I mentioned, today we're starting our Advent season. And you're like, okay, what is Advent? Advent literally means arrival. It was uh, a tradition that has been around for hundreds of years, but because we are a diverse world, it has changed and adapted to different cultures all over the world, but all of it culminates in the waiting for Jesus to come, in waiting for the birth of the Messiah on Christmas morning. It's a time of expectancy, knowing that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is coming to the earth. And we live in an interesting time because Christ has already come. He came 2,000 years ago, just as Chandler mentioned. He came, he died on the cross for you and I, and he rose from the grave to give us redemption and salvation. So this morning, though, what I want to start with as we talk about Advent and we talk about the arrival, I want to talk about the preparation for Advent. What does the preparation for the arrival of Jesus look like? Because though we live in the time after Jesus— for thousands of years, his people were waiting for the Messiah to come. The Messiah that had been prophesied and promised to the people of Israel, they were waiting for that day to come when God would come and restore them. And so that's where I want to start this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 40 this morning. We're going to read right now through verses 1 through 5. If you don't have your Bible with you, no worries. The words will be up here on the screen. He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, we thank you for your word, which is so incredibly powerful. And Lord God, we know that it speaks truth and it speaks life. And so God, I pray that as we dive in and as we explore your word, God, would you enlighten our hearts? God, would you speak to us? And God, would we grow this morning in the knowledge of you and all that you have for us this Christmas season? In your name, amen. All right. One of the things that I do every time I get ready to preach on a particular passage of Scripture is I, I go to the Scripture and I read it kind of over and over again. And then I do what we instructed all of you guys to do over the summer when we did those leadership lunches. I do some biblical interpretation. So just so you know, that wasn't just for you guys. That is for all of us. It's so important when we go to the Scripture to start to try and understand what is God speaking in this Scripture what is he trying to say to you and me today? Because this is a book that was written thousands of years ago, but it is relevant to you and I this morning. And so I want to do a little bit of context for you guys. I want to provide you with a little bit of background of what is happening in this scripture. Can we do that together? All right. Amen. Let's get started then. As I mentioned, this is from the book of Isaiah. If you don't know Isaiah, he's one of the many prophets in the Old Testament. Um, a lot of the scriptures that point us to Jesus, that are prophetic about Jesus' birth and his death on the cross, his resurrection, actually come from the book of Isaiah. But Isaiah, uh, his prophetic ministry was about 700 years before Christ was ever even born. And so he's speaking these words to the people of Jerusalem. Isaiah's time in ministry, uh, if you were here for our Elijah series over the summer, we talked a little bit about Israel and about Judah and about what was going on in the nation during that time. But this is a time of complete chaos for both the northern kingdom of Israel and for Judah, the two uh, tribes in the south. The kingdom of Israel had been completely split, so there's ten in the north and two in the south. Uh, during Isaiah's time of ministry, the northern kingdom is completely obliterated and taken over by Assyria. Uh, there has been promise after promise of, if you do not follow the Lord, if you do not keep my commandments, this is what's going to happen. And surprise, <laughs> it happened. And so that's what happens during Isaiah's ministry, his prophecies is he's prophesying now to the people of Judah, saying, hey, we need to follow the Lord. We need to follow his commandments, because if we do not, we are going to lose the thing that makes us such a special people, which is the presence of God. And so, fast forward to about 600 years before the birth of Christ, Babylon starts invading uh, Jerusalem. This is when the first captives from that city get taken out. So this is when we hear about uh, people like Daniel when he goes to Babylon and he is at Daniel in the lion's den. This is when we hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. People of Israel, excuse me, the people of Judah are being taken captive from Jerusalem, taken to Babylon. And then in 587, so just about 15 years later from that, Jerusalem falls. Jerusalem, the temple is destroyed, and the people of Jerusalem are taken into captivity, and this is the 70-year captivity that they experience. So this prophecy, though, is well before any of that ever happens. 
the first half of the book of Isaiah is that prophecy of like, hey, let's get this act together. We need to follow the Lord because if we don't, and then we hit chapter 40. And chapter 40 is this amazing story of the redemptive nature of God, of his love and his care for his people, and it is about their salvation. You've probably heard verses 3 through 5 before, but I really want to focus and set the scene with those first two verses. Verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah has been prophesying that their exile is imminent, it's coming. But this is the time after that, when he says, God's not going to leave you in exile. He loves you, you are his people, he is your God, and so he is going to bring you back. He's going to return you to Jerusalem. He says, her iniquity has been pardoned, her warfare is ended. And when it says that they have received double for, uh, for all her sins, it's just saying that they have received the sufficient amount. That it's like a piece, piece of paper being folded in half and doubled over. It's an equal measure. That her iniquity has uh, been pardoned. She has received in full. So they're coming back after having been in Babylon for 70 years of exile. They're coming back to the city of Jerusalem. But coming back to Jerusalem wasn't just a moment of going back home or relocating or being freed from a uh, season of captivity. It was an important message to the people of Jerusalem that they were coming back into the presence of the Lord. Jerusalem is where the temple was. Jerusalem is where God said his presence would be. And he was inviting them. He was encouraging them that they were going to come back into his presence. Because this is what set them apart from people of every other nation. What set them apart was that they were people who lived in the presence of the most holy God. When Moses brings them out of Egypt and they cross over the Red Sea, they're led by God in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. As they are wandering through the desert, heading to the promised land, Moses contends with the Lord in this amazing scripture in Exodus. He says, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? That is what made them distinct. That is what made them a people, is that the presence of God was with them. Then later, as they're in the promised land, we read about King David establishing the city of Jerusalem, and he says, I want to build a temple for the presence of the Lord. I want to create that temple. And God actually gives it to his son Solomon to build, and Solomon, when he finishes the temple, and he is uh, dedicating it to the Lord, it says in 1 Kings 9, as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. 
I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. When the people of God are in exile, they are separated from the presence of the Lord. They're separated from the place that God said his name would dwell forever. So this is not just a, a symbolic thing, but it is God saying, I'm bringing you back to Jerusalem. I'm bringing you back to your home. I'm bringing you back to the place where I established my name and I established you as my people. There's something so incredibly important about that moment that that is the comfort for them. That is the comfort that God is providing is his presence. God wants to bring them back into his presence. And that is what informs the rest of these verses. If we go back to verse 3, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This was a clarifying moment for Israel, that they were going to come back, that they were still the people of the Lord. He was going to lead them into all comfort, but he was going to lead them as their triumphant king. He was going to lead them back to Jerusalem as their triumphant king. They had been a wavering people. They had been a people who had followed idols and other gods, but God stands before them and says, I am your God. I am the Lord, and you are my people, and this is the place where I have called you to be, and there is where my presence will be. He's saying, I'm going to move in mighty ways, and now is your time to prepare the way for me. I love the imagery of this scripture, that every valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, uneven ground become level, and the rough places a plain in this time in the ancient world when a triumphant king was coming back to their uh to their hometown or to the kingdom to the palace the army would go before them and they would prepare the way it's kind of like that idea now of rolling out the red carpet it was a, a move of honor it was a move of respect to show that they were preparing the way to make it easy for the king to come it was a show of honor and respect God was calling them to prepare to come back to, to Jerusalem. That they had lived in a foreign city, they lived in a foreign culture with foreign gods, and God was saying, prepare the way for me to uh, come back to Jerusalem, for the people of God to return to Jerusalem where his presence would be where his presence would be. I keep coming back to that because that is such an incredibly powerful thing that God is leading them back into his presence. So the question then is, okay, what does that have to do with Advent? What does that have to do with Christmas? And what's so incredibly powerful and something I, from the first time I heard this phrase, it's been on my heart and it's been years and so it's, I know it's powerful, is I think about the scarlet thread that has been run through, through Scripture from Genesis all the way to the, re the end in Revelation, God has been showing us how Jesus, how the Messiah was going to come and redeem us. So in this Old Testament passage, 
thousand years before Jesus was even born, before the Messiah came, God was prophesying to his people how he was going to bring them into eternal and ultimate comfort. Because this isn't the end of the story. The physical relocation into God's physical presence is not the fulfillment of God's eternal comfort for the people of Israel and is not the fulfillment of that promise for you and I. The fulfillment is God's salvation through the Messiah, his presence coming to earth as Emmanuel, God with us. So maybe if you're wondering or read this scripture and it sounds kind of familiar, where you've heard it before is multiple times in the New Testament. In almost every single gospel, this scripture, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord that is the fulfillment. The fulfillment is when John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for the Messiah. John the Baptist was the one who was prophesied about God speaking to Israel about their ultimate consolation. John's birth was uh, miraculous. It was incredible, and his parents received this visitation from an angel from Gabriel to say, your son is going to be born, and he is going to be the one who points the way to the Messiah. So when John is born, his dad prophesies over him. In Luke 1, 76 through 79, he says this about John the Baptist. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God's comfort was coming to Israel. The Messiah was coming. And so John the Baptist gets on the scene and he knows, he knows his calling, he knows his ministry is to point people to the Messiah. His calling was to get people ready. He knew God's comfort was coming, the ultimate consolation for the people of Israel. And so his job was to get the people of Israel ready. John 1, 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He knew that this was his calling and his ministry. He says, prepare for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so how does he prepare the people? How do they prepare for the Messiah to come? It's in his name, John the Baptist. He comes baptizing people. He comes baptizing them for the repentance of their sins. Now, if you're thinking baptism, which we even mentioned this morning, is an outward uh, symbol of what God is doing inside of our hearts. That's how you and I practice baptism today. That's one of the amazing things that God has called us to do is to be lowered into his death and to be risen into his life and life to the full. So that is not the same baptism that John is performing here. He's hearkening back to in Israel when they would go into the temple, the priests would consecrate themselves. They would wash themselves. They would wash their clothes. They would wash their bodies before they entered into the temple, before they entered in to do any of the rites in the temple before the Lord. And it was symbolic of a cleansing that God, who is so great and so mighty and so powerful and so perfect and righteous and holy, that their desire was to come before him clean, 
to come before him purified. It was an act of purification, a symbol of what they were doing in their heart, that they were repenting of whatever was inside of them that was not aligned with God and saying, God, cleanse me from all unrighteousness so that I can enter into the temple and into the presence of God. So John starts baptizing people, and he's baptizing them in the Jordan, which is even more significant, how incredible the Jordan that the Israelites passed over to enter into the promised land, the place where Elijah and Elisha, uh, where Elijah is taken up into heaven. There's so much incredible significance for the people of Israel in the Jordan. He is baptizing people there, and so people uh, from the Pharisees come, and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, are you the Christ? They ask him these questions. Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And he says, no. He says, I am the voice of one calling. Prepare the way for the Lord. The day after this encounter, he meets up with Jesus. He sees Jesus from afar, and he says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John was preparing the way for the Messiah, the way for the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of the world. And so he was inviting people into a baptism of repentance to clear the way, to level every hill, to raise every valley in their heart and in their mind and in their life for Jesus to come, for the Messiah to come, to bring peace, to bring salvation. He was preparing the way in people's hearts. He told people, prepare before, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. I think sometimes when I hear that phrase, it's like a timing thing. It's like the kingdom of heaven is near. No. Jesus is near. The Messiah was near physically, literally. He was in that place. God he did not want to be distant from his people. He wanted to be near. And so he sent Jesus as a baby, as Emmanuel, God with us, to be near. So, John, prepare, because the kingdom of God has come near. John's cry was to repentance that was not just a physical, but it was inward in the heart. We need to prepare our hearts for Jesus. So what does this mean for you and me? We read about Isaiah and about Jerusalem and the Jews coming back into Jerusalem, into the presence of God. We hear about John the Baptist calling people to prepare the way because Jesus is there. The Messiah is there. He's going to be their salvation. He's going to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But what does that mean for you and me today? Van, if you want to come up. There's something incredible that's happening here that God is calling us into. How do we prepare for Advent? How do we prepare for this Christmas season where we recognize Jesus coming to the earth? First, we have to receive God's comfort. If you're taking notes this morning, these are the two important points I want you to walk away with. We are receiving God's comfort. You know, I think Christmas time is full of this idea of comfort, 
of peace, of stillness. But when we don't anchor that in Jesus, it's fleeting. Last year during COVID, during the quarantine and the lockdown, it was honestly a really, really hard time for me personally. We had just brought our son Henry into our home, and uh, rather than having this incredible support system of people around, we were told, don't see anyone, don't talk to anyone, basically. Don't breathe on anyone. And it was like, okay, I don't know what to do. I just have this new kiddo in my house. And I was uh, feeling isolated. I was feeling lonely. I was feeling stressed and anxious. And I distinctly remember one day getting into the shower and, you know, during COVID, we all ran out of everything, right? <laughs> I had just ran out of body wash. And I had my brain, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember my parents were here recently. Every time they come, they bring all their goods to me that they've bought. And they're like, store these for us for next time. And I got out the body wash, and it's this ginger-smelling body wash. And as I started to use it, ginger to me just smells like Christmas. <laughs> it has this really powerful way of bringing me into a very specific time of year. I love that God created our bodies that way. But as I'm in the shower, I literally am longing for Christmas. I'm longing for it because it is the antithesis of everything that I was experiencing at that time. Christmas meant gathering with family. It meant eating good food together. It meant spending time with one another. It meant laughter. It meant togetherness, which was the opposite of what we were experiencing at that time. And so I finished my shower, and I'm just thinking, man, like, oh God, I can't wait for Christmas this year. Remember, it's about April at this time, so I'm a ways away. But I get out of the shower, and I dry off, and it's gone. Because the smell is gone. It was fleeting. It was just momentary. Because it's a temporal comfort. It's a temporal peace that the season brings us if it is not rooted in the eternal comfort that Jesus wants to bring you and I today. Jesus came. He came for you. He came for me. He came to bring us into eternal comfort. It's not fleeting. It doesn't disappear. It stays with you forever. There's this really incredible marriage of that verse in Isaiah chapter 40 with the gospel when Jesus comes. In Luke 2.25, it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, or excuse me, and he came into the Spirit, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, meaning Mary and Joseph, when they brought him in, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. The consolation of Israel 
that word consolation is the same word that Isaiah uses in chapter 40 to talk about the comfort that was coming to the people of Jerusalem as they came back into the city, back into his presence. Jesus coming to the earth is the consolation of God for you and I. It is the comfort of God for you and I, the eternal comfort, his presence here with us on earth. This morning, God is saying, receive my comfort. Receive it. All flesh shall see it. The glory of the Lord will be revealed to all people. When we receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of our life, we receive his comfort. A comfort that provides, a comfort, again, that does not fade, a comfort that is eternal. This morning, I want to invite you, if you have never received that comfort that Jesus promises, he's coming for you. He's calling you today, right now. If you might be joining us online weeks from now, Jesus came for you. He loves you, and he wants to invite you into his comfort. So we're going to take a moment right now. I just want to invite you, bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to take a moment right here in the presence of God to say, man, if you have never received the comfort of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you, he invites you to receive it, to call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because he will transform you, he will bring salvation to you, he will bring life and life to the full. So this morning, if you would say, I want that, I want that comfort that comes from nothing else. The world is fleeting, but Jesus Christ, you are eternal and constant. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. If that's you this morning, you want to receive that from Jesus, I just want to invite you to raise your hand and then lower it back down. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to pray over you. Lord God, thank you for what you are speaking to people's hearts this morning. God, that the world may be full of of anxiety, the world may be full of turmoil and chaos, but God, you are a God of comfort. You promised it from the beginning of time, and you have been faithful to fulfill your promise, to bring comfort, to bring peace. And so this morning, I pray over every single hand that was raised, every heart that was open to you, Lord God. Would they feel your comfort and your peace this morning? God, would they know that there is hope for their future? God, there is healing for every past hurt and pain. That you are calling them into your presence in which there is fullness of joy, where there is life and life to the full. And so, God, we pray, would they receive the freedom and power of a new life in Christ this morning? God, we thank you, and we give that to you today. Thank you, Jesus. So how do we prepare for Advent? We receive God's comfort. And secondly, we prepare the way of our hearts. I want to invite you this morning to stand. Jesus was born as a baby. The most beautiful and perfect plan to bring humility to the earth 
to bring salvation to the earth. He is not distant. He is not far away. God is near. Jesus is near to you and I. So the question for you and I today is that has already happened, so how will we respond? If we have received God's comfort, if we have received his presence in our life, what is the response for us today? What is the response as we enter into Advent? Jesus isn't waiting for us so that he can come near. He already did it. And just like as we worship, our worship is not a prerequisite for God's goodness. We don't worship so that God will love us. We know that God loves us and that he is good, and our response then is to worship. This is that same idea. God has already come. His comfort is here. His presence is with you and I. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit came and fell on all of the believers, his presence is with us. We are the new temple of the Holy Spirit. His presence is with each one of us, you and I. So how do we prepare our hearts? How do we prepare the way of the Lord? God wants to do something in you this Christmas season, and he wants to do something through you. Christmas is not just about, even though it is fun, it's not just about the parties, it's not just about gathering together, it's not just about the fun and the food and the family, but it is about Jesus bringing salvation to the world. It is about light shining in the dark places. It is about salvation coming to the lost. So this Christmas, how is God calling you? Is he calling a work in your heart to say, Jesus, you are going to be the focus of my Christmas season. I'm, I know I'm going to prepare. I'm going to prepare for the dinners. I'm going to prepare for all the parties. I'm going to prepare for the gifts that I'm going to give my kids. But how are we going to prepare our hearts for Jesus? This morning, God is saying, focus your heart on me. The way to have the most amazing Christmas ever is to make sure that Jesus is at the center of it. So I want to invite you this morning to ask yourself that question. Have I prepared my heart? Have I prepared it for God to do something in me? Have I prepared it for God to do something through me? Am I going to be the light that shines in the darkness, that shines the truth of Jesus Christ into the dark places? I know I have friends, I have family, I have co-workers that need to know about the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ. They need to know about the comfort that is for them. So God, move in me. Raise up every valley. Lower every hill. Make the way straight. Make the path easy. I'm going to pray over you, and then I want to invite you, if this is the posture that you want to take this Advent season, to say, God, whatever you would have, do your will in my heart. Move in me. I want to invite you, whether at your seat or at this altar, this is not more sacred of a space, but man, it really brings that clarity to step forward out of our comfort zones, to step forward and say, Jesus, I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to focus on you this Christmas season. Lord God, I thank you for all that you have done. Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth as a baby, for living your life as an example to us, for dying on the cross as our sacrifice 
and being raised to life for our redemption. Jesus, you are the comfort for our souls. Your presence with us is the comfort for our souls. And we don't want to spend another Christmas focusing on things that are fleeting, focusing on things that will not bring life. Jesus, you are the giver of life. You are the giver of love. You are the giver of all comfort. And so Jesus, we stand today and we say, do whatever you would do in our hearts. God, we commit ourselves, we dedicate ourselves today to worshiping you and putting you first this Christmas season. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. I invite you right now, make that decision. Tell Jesus, I put you first.